Star Wars Monthly Monday 7. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Mondays number 7, which means we've now been doing Star Wars Monthly Mondays for 7 months. Absolutely blows my mind. I'm your host, Scott Gardner, and with me as always is my best friend, who back in 1987 was voted one of Playgirl Magazine's most eligible bachelors, Chris Honeywell. Yeah, whatever happened to that? Well, you know, age and time. I know. And I've been waiting for him to get a hold of me and do a whatever became. Maybe I shouldn't wait for that, but you whatever know. became a Playgirl magazine. You know? Well, yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> I've never really so, kept up with it. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, well, I don't know. You got that secret stash <laughs> that nobody supposed to know about. But well, I've got like 60 copies of the one I'm in, but that's about it. You know, <laughs> that's pretty sad in itself. They're all autographed too. <laughs> no, nobody can have any. <laughs> was it cold that day? I'm, I'm meaning to ask you that. It was. It was. They turned the air conditioning all the way up. Oh, okay. I, I see. One of the tricks okay. of the trade. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about Star Wars. And uh, before we get into this, man, I, I, I fulfilled a little mini Star Wars geek dream uh, this past week. Oh, yeah. I was doing some fishing around on eBay and just totally by accident, I came across uh, something I've been wanting to buy ever since it came out. Something, a piece of Star Wars merchandise that, frankly, I'm amazed at what was ever made. It was a. Fen Shisa action figure. This was from one of those like two packs. I don't know if you've seen these around. They have them in like Walmart and stuff. It's like a two pack of action figures, and then there's like a comic book with it. Uh huh. I have. And seen this that. this was the one. It was like Star Wars. I think it was like number sixty seven of the Marvel comic Star Wars, and it has a cover. It's like a big yellow. It was a Gene Day cover, I believe. And there's a guy on it looks a lot like Boba Fett. And at the time reading the the title, I remember seeing this comic when it came out on the rack thinking, oh, wow, Boba Fett's in this. And then you get it. And I guess you should be, you know, there's a potential that people would be really disappointed, you know, back in the day when they got this thinking it was going to be Boba, Boba Fett, Fett and it's actually not him. But I liked you this guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, his his name was Fen Shisa, and he was basically another Mandalorian warrior, but he was like, basically he was like a good Boba Fett. You know, he helped the rebels and befriended Princess Leia and all that. I always liked this guy. That was always one of my favorite storylines and one of my favorite characters from Marvel Comics Star Wars. And I just can't believe they actually made an action figure of this guy. But, you know, as much as I wanted him and everything, I could never seem to find those those two packs at a halfway reasonable price. Because to me, you know, now that action figures, even like single action figures, most of them are well over 10 bucks. Now, that's just too much damn money, man. For a little, couple of chunks of plastic. Yeah, and this thing is, I mean, it's itty-bitty. It's like maybe four inches tall at sure. most. So, I mean, it's an itty-bitty little thing. But anyway, he was on there as what they call a loose figure, meaning you know it was off the card and all that. But it had all the all the pieces. I didn't need the comic because it's just a reprint anyway, and I have the original. The other figures, Princess Leia, which you know, frankly, I could give a crap about. I just wanted Fenshaisa. I didn't care that it was loose because I'd I'd cut the package open anyway. So it was on there. Got it for five bucks, man. And he's awesome. He's just so cool. He's got you know. A little removable helmet and the rocket pack and you know the little blaster and all. He's just great. He's he's standing here at my computer, aiming his gun at me. <laughs> so, yeah, just a little geek moment, but I thought I'd share it because uh, Fen Shisa. If you don't know who he is, um, for one, you can look him up if you want to cheat and get ahead a little bit. But also, you know, hang with us. We'll get to that story eventually. Eventually, he is one of the coolest characters from the uh, Marvel Comics Star Wars series, and we'll be reviewing some some issues of that later on. Well, speaking um, of weird figures, I uh-huh. was looking for pictures of Star Wars stuff. This just reminded me. And uh, I, I was looking for – basically, I was looking for Ralph McQuarrie paintings, big photos of Ralph McQuarrie paintings. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I found out – I don't know if they were official. They looked like they were officially made by some company that had a licensing deal, but they were Ralph McQuarrie versions yes. of, the, yeah. of the from you know from his production drawings. Uh-huh. So it had the you know more turn of the century looking Darth Vader's and the and when Luke and Leia were combined in one character who was female they have a action figure of that and those look pretty cool. They were cool. Yeah, Weird I thought about getting some of those, but I, I stopped actually collecting you know Star Wars figures except for yeah. the odd one. Every once in a while there'll be some odd one that I can't resist, but I wanted to get those. But it was one of those things. It was where. It's like it's like those potato chips, you know. You you know you can't eat just one. So rather than you know try to eat the whole bag, I just didn't even start. Just stay you know away, I mean? yeah, yeah. So, which I kind of regret. But you know, a lot of times I found lately. I don't know if it's because of the 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 mixed popularity or or the less. I, I don't know how you would describe it, but I don't know if it's because the prequel trilogy is not as popular as the original trilogy and it's kind of watered the whole phenomenon down or what but i find star wars figures a dime a dozen at like flea markets and stuff so a lot of times i figure if i just wait long enough a lot of times unless they're like some super obscure hard to find figure you can you can end up getting those things on the cheap later on kind of like comic books so i don't really buy them brand new off the rack anymore you know unless i I like finding them at garage sales yeah it's just sort of a lucky, you know, something lucky. One of them will, t- uh, one will turn up. It's just a neat thing to dig out from under a pile. But I just, it's they—they're just the the thing about action figures is they're I think they're just too expensive, and there's just too many of them. They're they're one of those things that they're just pushing to see how many of them they can sell. It's sort of like having variant covers and all that. It's just too complex, and it's too sort of 
made towards collectors. Right. And that that usually kind of skeezes me out sometimes too. Okay, in the meantime, I wanted to talk about just briefly about um something I mentioned in the last Star Wars Monthly Monday episode was I knew I shouldn't have spoken without really having, you know, authority on what I was talking about, which was uh, I mentioned to you that I, I, I had picked up a copy of Star Wars Clone Wars Adventures number three, and there was a story in there that I had kind of thumbed through where it looked like Grievous had killed Ventress, and, you know, we were talking about continuity and where did this story fit and all that. Right. Well, to make a long story short, I read the story and he did not kill her. He, but they did fight. It was basically this story looks like it would be in continuity. Basically, the first General Grievous story, where uh, he has to prove himself in battle to um, Count Dooku, and he fights both Ventress and that Dirge guy. Great story. I really enjoyed it. But it was basically where he took them out. And then ask Dooku, should I kill them? And Dooku's like, no, spare them. They're still of use to me. So I just thought it was, was worth mentioning that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But it was a really good story. Wild and speculation. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's what I get for just kind of thumbing through without actually reading the thing. But um, it was really good. I have now read nine out of ten of those, and they're fantastic. I really recommend If you can pick them up on the cheap, I and I stress that, pick them up on the cheap. Because every one of these books that I've bought... I've paid less than $5 for them. So, I mean, that's the way to get them if you can get them. If you're just patient enough on eBay, those things do turn up on the cheap. And, you know, I've bought almost every one of them off eBay, again, and for less than 5 bucks, And that's that's including the shipping. So, I mean, you can pick them up cheap if you're just patient. Anyway, um, speaking of Clone Wars Adventures, I finally got around to reading Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, it was a book called Crash Course. This is one of those little digest-sized Clone Wars comics done in the same style as the Clone Wars Adventures, but it's released as a one-shot, and I believe that this is the second one of those so far. I forget what the original or what the first one or the first one was called, but that was the one that I talked about where I mentioned, you know, they did the story where they froze themselves in carbonite to get past some scanner thing or whatever. Right. That was the first one of these. I, I just can't remember what it was called. Anyway, this is the second one, and I, I don't know how many there's going to be in this series. They're not numbered or anything. They just each one has a, a, a title, and that's it. Um, so I don't know if this is a series or they're just going to be occasional one shots or what. Anyway, it was really good. Uh, I enjoyed the story a lot, and it, it basically involved a senator who's uh, being blackmailed into providing vital information to the separatist forces. You know, as far as like uh, Republic information and stuff. And when that plot's discovered, Ventress um, kills the senator. And, you know, she delivers like a killing blow to the guy and then she runs away and escapes. Well, as this guy lays dying, he puts the Jedi on the trail of where this exchange is going to take place. You know, where, where this like data pack or whatever is going to be picked up by like a separatist spy or something. So Anakin and Ahsoka are dispatched to go to this planet where they get embroiled in you know a whole lot more intrigue, and they have to disguise themselves as a pod racing team. And this is this was the catch. This is what I really liked about this because it, it, they put a slight twist on it. Whereas this time around, Ahsoka is actually the pod pilot, and Anakin is disguising himself as her. I think they call it Grease Boy or something like. Or oil boy or something. He's he's basically the mechanic of the team, like the pit crew. Right. 
And it was just, it was a good, fun, fast paced story with a lot of action and thrills and spills and stuff, just like I like my Star Wars. So um, that's uh, uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Crash Course. I really recommend that book. It was, it was a hell of a lot of fun and well worth the money on that. Well, if you notice, all the, all the pod pilots in episode one were basically like jockeys. They were all sh- really short or small mm-hmm. creatures, you know. And, and yeah, that, so that's, that's true. Probably why, that's what, probably why they had her as the, the pilot. That's true, yeah. And there actually is a callback, a uh, couple of callbacks, actually, to that uh, that pod race from um, Star Wars Episode One that, that I thought were funny as far as, like, one of the racers in the race. And then um, a guy eventually... Uh, uh, Basically, eventually, Anakin is recognized by someone, so that that moment was kind of cool too. But yeah, really fun story, you know. Just you know, nothing nothing too serious, nothing too heady. There wasn't a lot of political bullshit or anything. It was just a lot of you know, good, you know, fast paced Star Wars action and fun. So I, I got a real kick out of it. What do you got? Oh, you're reading uh, some Star Wars uh, comics right now too, right? Yeah, I'll probably I'll, I probably won't say much. Well, I'm reading. Um the the new Clone Wars, the Dark Horse Clone Wars. I got the first three episodes, three episodes, three issues of that. So I, I read the first one, but I won't talk about it till I probably. I'll, it's probably like in the first three they'll have the whole story arc resolve. But it's pretty good. I like it. Written by the same guy who wrote the TV shows. One of the writers oh, cool. from the TV shows, so it has the same sort of flow. Now this is the one where they go to Ahsoka's planet, right? right. And her people are ma- okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be anxious for you to read that because I'm reading that too, and uh, we'll be able to talk about that more. Because yeah, that's it's, so far it's been really, really good. I just read the first one today, and I'll probably read the other two like in the next couple days. Cool. So, are we ready to get into uh, Clone Wars? Sure. Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Anakin traces the missing R2-D2 to a Separatist listening station where he's been delivered by a droid smuggler to General Grievous. We also find out R2's replacement, R3-S6, is a spy sent to report on the Jedi actions to Grievous. A raid on the Separatist battlesphere is successful, and R2 is rescued before his secrets are divulged and the Separatist listening post is destroyed. So, uh, what did you think of this one? I liked it. I liked it better than the last one, even actually. I thought it had some great moments in it, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's good to see. Um, this was sort of the R two D two episode, you know. In a way, in a way, you got to see R two D two really like leading a sort of separate adventure and uh, getting to kick a little ass at the end. That's one of my notes. R2 kicks ass. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly how my note reads my, on Mine that. just says, droid fight with an exclamation mark. <laughs> um, one thing I really liked is the introduction of the droid popper balls. I thought those were pretty neat. Yeah, I don't know why they don't, haven't had something like that sooner because it, right. it, it seems like almost a, an outgrowth of... Uh, of those weird Gungan ball things, technology. yeah, from the Gungans, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, Which I, I've seen something similar like that. My my kids collect those little, uh, you know, those Lego guys. The oh, what the hell are they called? You know, with the masks and all that. And they have a little blue ball thing that they shoot that's supposed to do that kind of a thing. And I wonder if it was lifted from Star Wars. Oh, maybe, yeah. 
But um, I can't can't think of what those figures are called right now. But somebody will somebody will write in and tell me. I I just can't think of what it is. Yeah, there was a, there was a, all sorts of droidy neatness in it. You got to see a droid torture chamber. Yeah, I got to see R2 like partially disassembled and all that, which was kind of interesting. You know, to, you, you get a peek inside of of how they're actually put together and yeah. all that. Because we kind of saw that with uh, with three PO in in Empire, you know, when he got disassembled and all that. But I don't and think we've really one. seen it. Oh yeah, that's true too. We you know, we never really saw that I, that I can recall anyway. You never really saw much of the interior of a, of an R two, you know, all disassembled like that. So I, I thought that was interesting. I liked how they were, you know, sort of ac- when they were accessing his information, how it was on this sort of three-dimensional projected computer screen that the guy was flipping around. It just looked really neat. What else? What else? Rather than have – this time I did my, my notes a little bit differently. I actually just did them as they came to me re-watching the episode because I watched it a couple of times. You know, I watched it once just because it sucked me in and I had a lot of fun with it. So I actually had to watch it again, you know, with with more of my you know pen and paper in hand to take notes. And uh, so rather than like pros and cons, I, you know, just things that kind of popped up. I mean, it was uh, I like the I'm, I'm sure it wasn't supposed to be the same exact guy, but I like there was a, a member of the walrus man species, whatever species that's supposed to be. And I, I liked seeing him. It was just a brief little yeah, the goofy tooths or whatever. Yeah, goofy tooth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I just thought it was neat to see him because I, I don't recall having seen one of those again, you know, since uh, you know since the original movie, and I just thought it was kind of cool to see him. And he still talked in that kind of that voice that sounds like he's talking and drinking a Slurpee at the same time. You know, I kind of like that that voice. I don't know how they they do that, you know, with the editing or you know sound editing and all, but it just sounds cool to yeah, me. Yeah, it does sound neat. My biggest pet peeve, though, for this episode... I bet you it's nit- the same as mine. Is uh, it the fall? The Jedi's fall to the, to the no. battle sphere? Oh, yeah. That, this is what I want to know. How far exactly can the Jedi's fall? Because in that part where... You I know, think Ahsoka they can fall... Uh, I, I think they personally can fall indefinitely. I think they can... I think they get to a point where they... Uh, just um, you know, re- you, they're falling, but they're not falling very fast, or they're they're falling fast, but they're falling at such a speed that they can break themselves whenever they get near something. Because you know, uh, what is it called? Terminal velocity. Right. Once you reach terminal velocity, you're not really going faster unless you got a rocket strapped to your ass. So, right. Right. so you can you know, once you start, you can you can fall for a long while. And you're not getting, you know, it's not getting fast, you know, it, once you're hitting terminal velocity, when you hit the ground, it's going to be the same no matter how high you start it up. So I think they can just sort of indefinitely just drop, you know, I think they have technology and, you know, Jedi force control that lets them, maybe maybe they break themselves in relation to where they're coming down, you know, when they get close enough to the ground, they, I don't know, they create a big force, like, you know, the equivalent of those it just seems inconsistent to me because there's a great shot right after Ahsoka runs and jumps off the platform. There's a shot, you know, shortly after that, that shows everybody falling. And it's basically shot as if you're a member of the team falling with them. And right. it's a shot 
aiming straight down at the platform that they're that they're going toward, the, the yes. listening station. And that drop looks to me to be roughly about the same drop as we saw Obi-Wan plummeting down in uh, episode, episode two. 2, Attack of the Clones. So, you know, if Obi-Wan needed rescued by Anakin in that so that he didn't splat all over the surface in that, then then why do these how can these guys fall that at all that distance and then just you know, just land superhero style and they're okay, they don't break ankles or legs or smoosh into the into the ground or anything. It just it seems a little inconsistent and it just seems, you know, force powers or not, that seems like a hell of a distance to fall. So I don't know. I just I'd like to see a little bit more consistency in that. But like I say, it's a nitpick. But I added just... one of my notes of what I liked. It was it reminded oh, really? yeah, it reminded me of uh, the book Starship Troopers because in the book uh. Starship Troopers they had um, jumpsuits they called them, and they would ju- and 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 the, the guys would just jump out of their spaceships in orbit and come you know barreling down into Earth and break themselves at the last minute and would just, you know, tear the place up. And then they, when they were on the ground, they would could do jumps that were like several miles long, you know, just with their basically these big thick spacesuit Iron Man suits. <laughs> so it reminded me of that. I like this the separatist battle spheres another thing that I had that was listed that was cool cuz it reminded me of a little Death Star, you know, it was like yeah. a, a little mini version. No, my pet peeve was the the bad techno music was back. It was in the last one too, and it and it resurfaces, but not for long. It's only little little stabs at it, but I just it doesn't sound right in Star Wars. I don't think I noticed the music much in this one. I'm I'm sad to say. I usually it usually you know I try to take note of it, or it usually you know hits me one way or the other, either good or bad, and I kind of failed to take note of it in this particular one. It's just little two or three second stabs, and there's like uh, the the most. Um, I think the most the part where I noticed it the most was when R two was uh, escaping, or uh, mm-hmm. you know to send a signal off to. Um, I think that's when Grievous had him when he was sort of locked in that little closet, and he opens up the wall oh, and yeah. and and gets a message out. So it it sort of happens there. My only other like nitpicky type note, and this one actually bugged me more than the Jedi Fall, was the the death of the junk dealer. You know when he gets run through by General Grievous. I mean, oh, yeah. I am so tired of seeing this happen. In in it's not just Star Wars. I see it all over the place. You know, there's you know there's the bad guys. You know, and they're all evil and you know blah blah blah. And then, you know, some informant or some, you know, little Weasley guy, you know, has a piece of information or tries to do a trade or a deal or some skeezy thing. And they always end up, you know, something horrible. Yeah, they off him. And it's like, all right, how are you ever going to get reliable informants and reliable little skeezy guys to do your bidding if you're going to kill them all the time? And this, I could see this guy's death coming, you know, from the, from the. The first time you see him activate the hollow image of General Grievous is like, oh, this guy's going to die by the end of the episode. Grievous is going to kill him. And it just was so predictable. I mean, yeah, I didn't quite see the lightsaber thing coming, but it was still really predictable with the guy getting killed, you know, just because he was greedy and demanding a little more money. And it was like, you know, just for a change, I'd like to see that, you know, that cliche not play out. Well, I think think in reality they would have given him a... 
they either would have uh, been like, you know, don't push your luck, you know, maybe put a lightsaber up to his neck and said, don't push your luck and paid him or something. But yeah, he's a good, he's a good asset. He brought them a droid that's never had its memory flushed from, you know, that's just chock full of information that they want. And, right. and then they cut out, you know, they just turn him into a dead end, literally. You know, they right. just, they, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It just was a story element that really, yeah, it was just, a, it was some, it was violence. It wasn't really needed to do anything except to just, I guess, punish the character, I guess, for being a bad guy. <laughs> he was bad and he needed to die. Now, what did you think of, uh, of the Grievous Ahsoka battle? I thought that was good. I thought I, I really, um, I thought it was very realistic because it wasn't just a straight up lightsaber battle. Because she would be, you know, he would pulp her in a, right. a straight out lightsaber battle. So it was basically Ahsoka trying to stay alive, and right. I liked, you know, that it was basically I'm I'm climbing underneath shelves. Even though that's a, a cliche too, is the battle amongst the shelves, right. the shelving units, but. It was cool, you know. I mean, it was it was it was more maybe realistic than just sort of a spectacular lightsaber saber force battle, you know. It was just sort of a, it was more of a chase with Grievous, you know, getting foiled because he was bigger and clum, you know, less able to maneuver than she was. <clears throat> I'm glad that uh, that up until the point where they get in the room where she can like dodge under shelves and all that, I'm glad that that battle, like in the hallway, right? It was really good. It was really intense, but it was also very short. And I'm glad yes. that she basically was like barely able to hold her own, and then she basically had to retreat because that lent a lot of uh, credibility to it. Because she should not, as a as a Padawan be able to stand up to him no. because that just weakens him as a character. He's supposed to be this Jedi killing badass. Well, in the last, yeah, in the last clone, in the original, the first Clone Wars series, I mean, mm -hmm. he, when he was introduced, you know, he was just a flying shape and he just took out all, like, all kinds of, from, like, young Jedis to a bunch of experienced, battled, hardened masters, right? And yeah. he just made mincemeat out of them. So... So yeah, and but I mean yeah, he got in a fight with her and he got her lightsaber like right away. <laughs> Instantly, he was just like, "Ha, I got your lightsaber, time to kill you." And right. Uh, right, and and but that's that's the Jedi way, I guess, is she was smart enough to realize this guy's I'm no match for him in a straight battle. I have to get him into a situation where maybe even she wouldn't have the advantage, but she would at least it would more um even the playing field. And that's what she did. So it was it was pretty. It was, quote unquote, realistic, <laughs> as realistic as this stuff can possibly get, <laughs> being by the nature of what it is. And my my biggest uh, geek moment in this episode, the thing that I really liked the best, though, was uh, when and it was subtle. It, they didn't beat you over the head with it. I liked that it was one of these things where if you noticed it, it was awesome. But they didn't like feel the need to really draw your attention to it, which is Anakin has a really good, you know, what you call a slow burn in this one. And I like that when he finally catches up with R2 and those those droid guard things, 
that you see a little bit of the Darth Vader come out. You know, he he basically yeah. uses anger as a weapon. You know, which is supposed to be a, a big no-no for the Jedi, but he does. You know, he's he's mad about what's happened. You know, they've taken his droid, his property. You know, he even says, you know, you have something that belongs to me. And in that battle sequence where he's taken these guys out, I mean, I watch it very much as he's Darth Vader in this in these moments because he's pissed. And I like that. I really like that, you know, for that brief moment, we see Anakin fighting, you know, embracing, you know, the the, the dark side, you know, through anger, basically. Yeah. And I, I thought that was awesome. I, I thought it was a really good foreshadowing moment. Well, it doesn't happen a lot in these shows. These shows don't really dwell on or even really show a lot, a lot of the, you know, you know, his future as Darth Vader, even though the, you know, the, the new trilogy the one through three it was all over the place you know they were always you know sort of plugging it and and this one's like very close a lot closer to when he is actually going to be darth vader so it's it's strange but this i guess they figure more kids will be watching this show well also you know i i've noticed that there's been a, a step back from you know the foreshadowing and you know the all the little wink wink nod nod you know he's going to yeah. become Darth Vader that hasn't really been played up and i think the reason is that essentially he is one of the heroes in this and he's never going to become Vader in this because that you know comes in the movie which you know has come right. and gone now so they're playing him very much as the hero and we might get little little snippets or little glimpses but i don't think they're ever going to do the full blown you know, like there was an episode of the cartoon Clone Wars where, you know, he went in and had like a, what do they call it? Like a dream quest where he saw himself become Darth Vader. Do you remember that? It was like in a cave sequence. Yes. He was like drugged or something. I don't think they'll ever do anything like that in this because he is the hero. And uh, and that's interesting. That's an interesting way to play it, I think, you know, is to keep him the good guy. Yep. And uh, yeah, it works for the it works for this, and uh, I think it actually will enhance the movies, especially for like maybe younger kids who are watching this, and then they'll make their way to the movie because they'll have a by the time the well, it'll be it, it would be funny because I'll bet you there are a lot of kids right now who maybe have seen this before they've seen any of the other Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. So that that might be interesting. So by the time they start watching episode one, they'll be like, "Oh, it's Anakin as a little kid." And episode two will be more like the Anakin. And episode three will be pretty much the Anakin they know. And well, yeah, then he becomes movie, Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, well, that movie's rated PG thirteen, so right. that's a good point. A lot of kids that are watching this show may not yet have right. been allowed by their parents to see it. And I imagine that their reaction could be very similar to, you know, I remember when we went to see episode three in the theater, you know, my, my littlest one, he was a lot younger than he was, I don't know, five, six years old. And maybe that makes me a horrible parent for taking him to a PG 13, but it was a star Wars PG 13. I really didn't think it would be that bad. Right. And he was fine with the whole movie, except for that sequence where Anakin where where it actually all happened, you know, where Anakin was was horribly burned and cut up and all that, and I look over to him and he's just sobbing. And I figure he's crying because he's terrified or scared or something. But no, he's crying because even though he may have known it psychologically, 
to actually see for it, the yeah. fall of the hero was traumatic to him. And I and so I wonder if if that will continue to happen, you know, to other kids coming up, you know, as they get old enough to, to be able to watch that movie. You know, if they've grown up watching this where Anakin's very much, you know, the the Luke Skywalker of his generation, to suddenly see him take that fall. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be interested to Well I'll you tell know, to you hear back people on that. People talk a lot of shit about episodes one through three, you know, and mm-hmm. and even the people who are like, yeah, I liked episode three was okay, the, you know, and people bitch about the no and, uh, you know, everybody knows about all the, uh, what everybody says about them. But I'll tell you what, when I was, the, the in episode three, when that whole sequence from, um, where you know from where he turns to the end just had the most like sliding downhill feel to me of you know don't do it <laughs> you yeah. know there, there i mean i know what happens in it and i've been waiting 30 years to see this and i'm sitting there going don't do it don't do it <laughs> do you see what's had don't do it don't do it and thinking there's a possibility that he could you know get around it or something but but yeah, that, I mean, that's quite an accomplishment for somebody who knows how it's going to turn out. I was still yep. a bit on, not I would say on the edge of my seat, but you know, it it really had me dreading that moment. I think that a lot of the 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 smack that you hear talk, I think a lot of it's justified, but it does irritate me to hear things like. You know, oh, episode two and three, oh, they're wrought with such horrible dialogue, and you know, Aiden Christensen's such a shit actor, and blah blah blah. Because you know, yeah. uh, now granted, a lot of it was like you say, you know, it's it's a slow downfall and that sort of thing. A lot of uh, of the empathy and a lot of the emotion in that scene can be tr- attributed to the just masterful, masterful um, scoring of John Williams in that part. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm not I'm not too big to admit that in the part where Anakin's finally, he's all burned and, you know, he realizes it's all over and, and you know, Obi-Wan screaming at him about, you know, being the chosen one, I will be the first one to raise my hand and say, yep, choked me up, tears in my eyes. I was sad. I mean, it really was painful to watch this guy who was a yeah. hero fall that far and so yeah I, I think it comes off and you know if it didn't work for other people well I'm sorry but it worked for me I enjoyed it me too I enjoyed all three movies so screw them all screw them all <laughs> well, I'm an apologist said, I mean, <laughs> well I won't say I'm an apologist because there are a lot of things you know like like episode one I've come to like it I've come to tolerate it but overall you know yeah there's still a lot of issues I have but yeah, but yeah, I I do enjoy the original uh, trilogy. Yeah. We will eventually, you know, we've we'll, been requested we'll do to an get into we'll, episode. Yeah, yeah, we we will. We'll get into them one of these days. But uh, as far as this episode goes, I mean, I liked this. You know, I walked away from this thinking, you know, that was a feel good episode. You know, it was all yeah. about friendship and all that. And those are the kind of episodes I'm always a sucker for when it, you know, like. Uh, you know, I, once again talking about uh, you know the, the 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 competition in an episode, but talking about Star Trek briefly, that's one of the reasons I always like Star Trek Three so much because it's not about them being on a mission, it's not about saving some planet or you know some dying thing or some big threat to the universe. That mission is, or that movie rather, is all about them saving their friend, and that's what this episode was about. You know, it was yeah. about Anakin saving his friend. And, and and I'm a sucker for those kind of stories, and I liked it. I, I walked away going, wow, that was a really feel... You know, it's one of those 
cheering episode. You know, you're like, yeah, you know, they they rescued him and they beat up the bad guys, and yeah, I, I just I love these kind of episodes. Yeah, I think Great. they really captured the feel of when the 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 imperial imperial when the separatist station is falling through the atmosphere. I thought mm-hmm. they really captured the feel of that very well. You know, when R two's on the walkway and the whole humongous station is just dropping and things are sort of flying by. Very, it was very nice. Very sort of that sickening feel of motion of something huge just dropping. It reminded me of Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got a a nice uh, vibe of, you know, you were talking about the Death Star, you know, the original Death Star, you know, when Anakin's like streaking away and the station's all like exploding behind him and all, I I got very much a feel of of both, well, actually both Death Stars, you know, the, Because the one in the in the second or in the third movie rather is more you know that slow exploding from within rather than just the big bang like we got you know in the in uh, a new hope so but yeah I, I definitely got the Death Star feel out of it but yeah I, I like this episode a lot I'd like to see more done you know in this style with more of a straightforward mission not so much of the political intrigue and all that just you know. Here's this thing we got to go blow it up. I, those are still my favorites, you know. Maybe it comes down to you know that's what the original movie was basically about. You know, there's this big battle station we got to go blow it up. You know, that's yep. really what it was all about. You know, when you boil it all down. So, but uh, what else you got on this one? Anything? Um, no, that's all my notes. Cool. Well, I can hear. Do you hear it? Off in the distance, that 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 whale call. Oh, that can only mean one thing. I smell the salt of the sea. Ah. There she blows. <laughs> Ask any mermaid you happen to see. <laughs> it is time for an Orca's Book Club. <laughs> Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. So welcome back to Orca's Book Club. In this particular one, I want to talk about Star Wars MedStar 1 Battle Surgeons by Michael Reeves and Steve Perry. Now, this was the audiobook that I listened to. This was an abridged version read by Jonathan Davis. Um, he seems to read a lot of these, and I really like this guy's style. He, he really does a good job with these. He's done most of the ones that I've listened to so far. Anyway, this particular book, I really liked this book a lot. All right, t- imagine this. Imagine taking a little bit of the old MASH TV show, a little bit of ER, and mixing them with the Clone Wars, and that's pretty much what you have in Battle Surgeons. Um, the story revolves around you know the goings-on of a group of, you guessed it, battle surgeons operating out of a mobile ho- hospital, you know, a la MASH, basically. And it's their personal dramas with a sprinkling of, you know, political intrigue and drug smuggling and alien mafia shenanigans and all that, courtesy of Black Sun. The characters are all really likable and interesting, and even the half-assed, lukewarm love story is pretty good. What I liked best, though, what I really enjoyed about this book was a little thing. It was the reappearance of a character called I-5, who we originally uh, met in the... uh, 
Star Wars Darth Maul Shadowhunter book. I don't know if I talked about this particular character when I reviewed that book. I don't think I really talked about much of the other characters besides Darth Maul because the story really is about him. But we were introduced to a couple of characters, which was basically this guy and his droid. And I don't want to spoil anything for Shadowhunters, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. But basically this droid survived that book and was left in a weird position at the end of that book. And it was one of those things where he was just a really likable character. And it was one of those things. I remember thinking at the end of that book, well, I wonder if we'll ever see this guy again or what would happen to him now. And so it was really nice to see him again in this story and, and have his personal story picked up so that we see what's happened to him, you know, over the course of all these years. Cause it's been, well, let me see. That story took place before episode one. So this has been a good long stretch of time because this story takes place about two years after the Battle of Geonosis. So we're talking, what, like 12, 13 years, something like that. So it's nice to see what's happened to this character in that interim. It was a nice bit of continuity and follow-up, and I like that kind of thing. It was nice to see it in these books, and it gave you a feel for, wow, they really are having continuity in these Star Wars books, something that, sadly, the Star Trek books, even though they're licensed all by the same people, they just don't have that feel. Each author's basically doing their own little thing. Anyway, no real complaints or nitpicks in this book. Other than, once again, that damn recurring Bantha reference we seem to get in every single Star Wars novel. You know, thinking about this thing with the Banthas, I've come to the conclusion that the Star Wars galaxy must be overrun with friggin' Banthas, since everybody seems to know what they are and reference them constantly. Anyway, this book was Star Wars MedStar 1 Battle Surgeons by Michael Reeves and Steve Perry. I highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. And you know, if you've listened to my other reviews of Star Wars books, I don't say that a whole lot. So this book's worth checking out, um, preferably on the cheap if you can. And that was another thing I was going to mention. You know, check out your your discount places, people. You know, your used bookstores, your, your Salvation Army, your Goodwill, your eBay, whatever, flea markets. I'm seeing Star Wars books, you know, dirt cheap by the dozens lately, you know, as people burn through these. There's now a whole lot of these Star Wars books. And, you know, if you shop around, you can get them on the cheap. You don't have to pay, you know, nine bucks for a paperback book. Speaking of paperback books, um, the uh, the Star Wars uh, Death Star book that came out not long ago is also written by these same guys, Michael Reeves and Steve Perry. That book is now out, out in paperback. I picked it up the other day at Walmart, which I don't usually buy brand new books, but it was a paperback at Walmart. It's like five, five or six bucks. I picked it up because I've heard good things about this book, and I want to know why did it take them 19 years to build the Death Star? So hopefully I'll get that story in this. But I've been told that's a fantastic book, so eventually – um, I'll have that one read and do a little review on that. But I thought it worth mentioning for anybody that not, might not know that uh, Death Star is now out in paperback. So check that one out as well. And that's it for your Orcas Book Club. Victims of the Almighty Sarlacc. <laughs> Hi, boys and girls. Sit down. Sit in a big circle. 
It's time for Scott Gardner's story time. Let me dim the lights. Are you comfortable? Well, good. Mr. Gardner has a story for you. Thank you and welcome to Scott's story time. Now sit your ass down and shut up. In last month's Star Wars Monthly Mondays, we talked a little bit um, about Dave Cockrum's cover art to Marvel Comics Star Wars number 17 and what it might have looked like had he done the interiors of the book. And it got me to thinking about a short-lived magazine that Marvel Comics was putting out right around this time called Pizzazz. Pizzazz lasted 16 issues and was sort of like People Magazine for kids. There were a lot of other magazines on the rack back in the day that were similar to this. I remember one that was called Bananas that you could get through, I think it was through like the Scholastic program or something like that. There were other ones that I can't remember the names of, but uh, anyway, each uh, each issue of Pizzazz featured a Marvel Comics Star Wars strip. They were, I think they were generally three pages long. Maybe they were all three pages long, but usually three pages was about the standard format. Done by some of the top talent in comics of the day, you know, some who were already familiar uh, to the followers of the Star Wars comic, and then some who would be later on, such as uh, Roy Thomas, uh, Archie Goodwin, Howard Chaikin, Tony DiZaniga, Walt Simonson, Klaus Jansen, John, um, he go, he went by both Tartag and Tartaglioni, uh, I guess Tartaglioni must be his full name, and of course, um, Dave Cockrum. And this, it, it, when we were talking about this, it just kind of jogged a memory to me that, you know, Cockrum, I, I knew he had done something around this time. So I, I did a little bit of research having uh, an issue of Pizzazz in, in my collection. And uh, turns out that he did uh, do some, some work on this during this time. So there were two storylines serialized as a strip uh, that made up the run of Star Wars in Pizzazz. When Pizzazz folded with issue number 16, the second storyline that was called The Kingdom of Ice was incomplete, and it would remain so until the publication of a book called Marvel Comics Illustrated Version of Star Wars, which was published in 1981. This isn't the same Marvel Comics Illustrated Version of Star Wars that was the movie adaption. That was actually published by Del Rey. They both have the same title, but they had different publishers, and they were published in different years. The one I'm talking about, uh, this was published um, in 81, and it had several short stories in it, the last of which was the conclusion of the storyline that had been left hanging in Pizzazz number 16. The Pizzazz material has also been reprinted, uh, or was also reprinted in the Marvel UK Star Wars title, issues 47 through 50, retold the first storyline from Pizzazz, which was called The Keeper's World, with the second story, The Kingdom of Ice, storyline running through issues uh, 57 through uh, 59. Number 60 would feature the final segment of Marvel Comics' illustrated version of Star Wars that finally completed the story. Uh, Additionally, the very, very expensive Dark Horse Comics Star Wars number zero uh, reprinted the first uh, Pizzazz Star Wars storyline, The the Keeper's World, but it did not reprint the second. So I would not recommend paying a whole hell of a lot of money for that book. That book is very expensive, and I've seen it advertised a lot of places as being 
the reprint of the hard-to-find pizzazz material, but it only reprints the first storyline. You know, it's, it's a shame because the second one is the superior story both in the story and the art. Um, I'm glad I did my research on this because a while ago I was about to pay a small fortune for that uh, Dark Horse Star Wars number zero. Um, but I decided, you know, I better do my homework on this first, make sure that it, you know, it's really what I'm looking for and everything. And I'm glad that I did. Uh, in my opinion, it's not worth the high pri- price tag because it's basically, it's incomplete. It only has the first storyline in it. Um, incidentally, the Wikipedia entry for Pizzazz, um, talking about all, all this stuff, is, uh, and it has some errors in it. It states that War on Ice was the second storyline in Pizzazz and that it was reprinted and completed in um, the Marvel Illustrated book. That's not correct. War on Ice was the name of the segment of the overall Kingdom of Ice storyline that you find in that Marvel Illustrated book. That part of it had never been printed up to that point. The previous, uh, previously published portions of the storyline from Pizzazz are not reprinted in that Marvel Illustrated Star Wars book. So I recently uh, dug this book back out, the uh, Marvel Comics uh, Illustrated Star Wars book with this story in it, just to check it out. That story that's in there, the uh, War on Ice story, is the one that's illustrated by Dave Cockrum. Really a lot of fun, and uh, if you would like us on here on Two True Freaks to review these pizzazz stories... Write us and let us know. You know, send us an email, send us a voicemail, um, contact us on the forum. Um, we're interested in it. We're we're kicking it around. We're we're for the most part sticking with uh, the Marvel Comics, uh, you know, the the monthly stuff right now. The, you know, the American stuff. But you know, if you're interested in these pizzazz stories or anything like that, let us know, and uh, maybe we'll uh, find some time to to squeeze it in at some point. But uh, I highly recommend. Uh, tracking down this material, you know, if you can find it on the cheap, it, it is worth checking out. Just a lot of fun, particularly if you like the uh, the regular monthly Marvel Comics Star Wars. And with that, speaking of which, we are going to get into Marvel Comics Star Wars issues 18 through 20. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome galactic empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all.
Okay, welcome to the final segment of the show, our coverage of Marvel Comics Star Wars numbers 18 through 20. All right, number 18, cover by Carmine Infantino and, and Bob Wyacek. Written by um, Archie Goodwin with Carmine Infantino and Gene Day handling the uh, art chores on this one. This story is called The Empire Strikes, not The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, remarkably, this title was uh, thought up back in December of 1978. That's the uh, date on this issue. So The Empire Strikes well before The Empire Strikes Back. Just a, a neat little thing. And incidentally, there was a uh, one of those tops... Uh, trading cards of Star Wars back in the day was also titled The Empire Strikes. So I, everybody was thinking the, along similar lines, I guess. Uh, anyway, this story starts out with the uh, Millennium Falcon whipping through hyperspace, and suddenly C-3PO is frantically calling for Han and Leia to come quick, come quick, something's wrong with Luke Skywalker. After asking Chewie to keep an eye on their drifting auto-navigator, Han and uh, Leia... Uh, run out of the cockpit to see what's wrong with Luke. Uh, there they find Luke unconscious, and according to 3PO, Luke had been doing some sort of Jedi meditation exercise when he suddenly screamed and just simply shut down. Uh, Han decides uh, to drop out of hyperspace and seek some medical assistance for Luke, but thanks to their faulty auto-navigator, uh, they drop, uh, drop out of hyperspace right in the middle of an Imperial restricted zone. Blasting their way through that, uh, they come upon a uh, blasted-up merchant ship and the lone survivor uh, from that battle floating in space. Uh, they pull the dying man aboard the ship, and they learn that he is actually a rebel who had been, uh, who had been held prisoner by the Empire, and he was planted uh, in the debris from this de destroyed ship uh, in an effort to basically frame the Rebel Alliance for the attack on this ship. So as Han and Leia start to put the pieces of the mystery together, they are suddenly hailed by an Imperial light cruiser. Uh, again, Han, Han manages to uh, evade capture, and he uh, heads for what he hoped will be sanctuary for uh, himself and Chewie, Leia, Luke, and everybody. It's this uh, great big enormous space station, basically right out of uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 a Space Odyssey called The Wheel. Uh, Han explains that the wheel is like the ultimate gambling uh, palace in the, in the galaxy and that basically stormtroopers aren't allowed uh, in the place. Commander Strom, who is the commander of the Imperial vessel, uh, basically says to hell with regulations and decides that he's not going to let this rebel scum get away. You know, he's going to pursue them. And uh, so he pursues them and the Falcon right to the wheel. Uh, Han brings uh, the Millennium Falcon flying into the docking bay so fast that it looks like the Falcon's actually going to crash. And it's not really adequately explained, I don't think, but apparently he does this to clear the bay, you know, to, to scare the workers into thinking, oh my god, the ship's going to crash, so everybody scatters. It's the only way I can figure that Han and Chewie and everybody are able to actually get off the ship and disperse into the station and nobody sees them and seems to know where they went. But that's not really explained very well in the story. That's just kind of the impression I took away from it. Anyway, the uh, the docking bay crew, you know, they evidently flee for their lives because um, nobody sees where uh, Han and Chewie and everybody, you know, where they go after they go out of the Falcon. And then we cut uh, to a short time later where we see stormtroopers 
are running about the docking bay and around the station trying to you know track down the heroes. And then we cut again to this guy called uh, Senator Grayshade, who is the administrator of the wheel, and his trusty droid called the Master Com. Uh, they're getting into it with Commander Strom about the violation of the containment zone around the wheel. Uh, Grayshade explains that the taxes from the wheel's earnings basically fund the Imperial military and that the citizens of the galaxy come to this wheel uh, in the first place because they know that it's free from Imperial interference and that they can go there and they can gamble at their leisure and they basically won't be bothered by the Empire. Uh, Strom's presence there jeopardizes this whole operation because he's an Imperial officer and he's letting his stormtroopers run all over the station. Strom defends his actions by explaining that the rebels he's pursuing destroyed a House of Tag merchant ship. You know, that was the one that we saw earlier where Han rescued the dying rebel. And that that ship had been transporting wheel profits. Grayshade agrees to allow Strom to capture the rebels if he captures them alive. And then basically gets off his station. Um, after the comlink is closed, however, you know, because they're talking via comlink during this whole thing, Strom instructs his people, you know, his, his men, his stormtroopers, to ignore the capture alive order because, you know, he doesn't want anybody from the Falcon to, to remain alive that could potentially spill the beans on this whole plot to, to frame the rebels for the attack on the merchant ship. Okay, you got all that? All right, good. All right, that's part of the problem with this story is it's a little weird and a little bit vague and a little bit complicated. So anyway, the issue ends with C-3PO, who's still carrying the uh, unconscious Luke, and R2-D2 being cornered by stormtroopers, and Senator Grayshade, who's watching uh, the firefight where Han and Leia are trying to you know blast their way out of hiding or uh, some cargo hold or wherever they're at on a lower level, and he recognizes one of the combatants as Princess Leia, Rebel Leader. And that's where we leave off at the end of this issue. So what did you think of this one? Um, I love the art in it. <laughs> the story, is like you, as you just said, was pretty convoluted and had some just glaring holes in it but there's some energy going to it yeah mm -hmm. going with it and it's the the art that that gives it that energy when that you know when the falcon's coming into the docking bay that's just a great scene it's it's hilarious too because you've got a guy you know talking into his com link in the close-up and it looks like the millennium falcon's just gonna crash into his head <laughs> it's framed but, yes and uh on the next page there's a great i, I just don't know why but i love that um, the way the stormtroopers look in in that top yeah. frame, they're very. Now on the last page, he's got a stormtrooper that looks like he maybe walked too close, left his helmet next to the heater or something, and it sort of melted down a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, other you know, there's those are the infantinoisms, I guess you would call them. But uh, you know, I just love it. It's it's very. It's got a nice really detailed look to it fine detail and i think a lot of what helps this particular issue is gene day's inks because gene day was a hell of an artist in his own right and a great great inker and it was a real loss when when he died and unfortunately, he—I don't think he sticks on the the inks through this whole thing because I'm pretty sure that uh, 
I could be wrong, but I think starting the I know my by issue twenty he was gone, but I think he, yeah he's, he's gone from the very next issue number nineteen. It's uh, it's Bob uh, Wyacek, who I'm not knocking Wyacek. I like him a lot, but somehow Wyacek and Infantino, I don't think they quite complement each other, or at least they don't complement each other the way that Infantino and Day did. Cause oh, they, they sure do. Yeah, do you think they do? Or oh yeah, think- Gene Day. Gene Day has a feel for. That you know, he makes Chewbacca's hairs look more hairy. He makes this. He he has a really good. I think he adds to the detail of the ships. Because mm-hmm. when um, because he eventually ended up drawing a lot of penciling a lot of Star Wars issues just himself. Right. And I always remember the ships and those being very nicely detailed and very nicely rendered. You know, they had a. You know, they were proportioned well. Um, you know, with this one, for, with almost any anybody who's drawing the Falcon, like if you go to page four, 14 and fifteen, there's two shots of the Falcon. You know, from you know one page to the next, they're actually right next to each other, where the the sort of pilot's bay, you know, the sort of area that sticks out the cockpit, mm-hmm. is like this little teeny tiny thing on one page, and on the next page, it's like three times the size. You know, <laughs> there's the it still looks like the Millennium Falcon, but you can, you know, there's a wide margin, and I think Gene Day maybe added a lot of the little bells and whistles and the little ridges and the Tie Fighters and stuff, and right. And well, and, he's using that that what do they call that? That we still never figured out what it was called. That new art technique that they were using in comics right around this time, because uh, Frank Miller got a lot of mileage out of it on his Daredevil run, and I can't remember. It's like gray. Some sort of gray tone or gray, gray tone or gray zip a tone or whatever the hell that, I can't uh-huh. remember what they call that, but they were using it a lot in Star Wars by this point, and it just really adds to the art. I mean, it really yeah. looks good because there's a shot of three PO way back. Where was it? Yeah, way back on page five, that shot of three PO on the very bottom is using that because it's like he's he's gleaming metal, but then he's standing in shadow, right. so he's gleaming. Yeah, also got like a like a shade across him, and it just it's I love it. It's it really looks good, you know. It looks so realistic, you know, with the lighting effects and all that. I really I get a kick out of that, but you don't see that come the subsequent issues of this, you know, because this was quite an arc. This basically was almost like another movie because you know the original Star Wars. Uh, adaption ran six issues, and this storyline that we're getting into, starting with number eighteen, ran for six issues. So it's like another movie, basically. Right. And uh, you know, you start off strong with with the Inventino art, you know, in the in the in the day inks, and then, like I said, I don't want to knock Wyatchek because I really like his stuff, but it just I don't know. With, starting with the very next issue, I, I think the art just takes a big step down. He's just not employing the same tricks and and things as uh as day was you know so i, I think that that kind of because you know i'll i'll kind of tip my hand and just say right off the bat that this is not one of my favorite stories of of star of marvel Comics star wars there's just something about this it's not that it's not interesting or that it's not good is that for one thing i think it goes way too long but there's a lot of parts of it that just don't quite feel Star Wars to me. Right. And part of the problem is this thing with the wheel being like basically a, a, a hands-off zone, you know, in the Empire and all that. And they do their best to justify it with, you know, 
well, you know, we, you know, our taxes pay for your, you know, your empire and all that. But I just don't, you know, I don't know that I buy it. And I, even from a kid, this this whole premise just never really, they were never able to sell it to me. I didn't, I didn't really buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, well, what is your What's your take? I'm on sort that? of uh, uh, now. I'm reading this fresh, so this is this is the first time I've read these stories. I remember seeing a couple of these comics that you replaced, but. If I read them, I didn't remember them. I might, I probably have read them, but just like once. They're uh-huh. not, so they're not committed to my, you know, it doesn't really seem familiar to me. And it's just kind of a convoluted and overly complicated story. And it just doesn't flow, you know? It doesn't right. flow and uh, keep you moving through it. And uh, a lot of the danger that they're put in seems forced, you know? They're moved into, and that'll show up in the next issue too there's a lot of things where just things are moved forward to to forward the plot line and get the characters to do certain things that are just not really star warsy they sort of work but you know they're not quite ringing true to the characters and but the art's beautiful it's a great mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to look at which absolutely um you know, I'm not gonna knock it too much. The 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 scene when they come up to the um, the uh, House of Tag ship that's all blown up and the Millennium Falcons, I mean, the smoke's pouring out of it and it's sort of approaching it. That's a beautiful classic. It looks like something that could have been out of an EC comic, you know, in the right in the old days of science fiction comics. So, so I like that, and and I like at the end of this, they're like. When they go off on their mission to do everything, they're like, "Okay, Han, or you know, you droids, take Luke to the to the hospital." He leaves Luke in the hands of the droids. Chewie, <laughs> Chewie, the biggest, most, you know, useful battle one of all of them. Here, take the dead rebel and stash his body somewhere. Get rid of the <laughs> rebel's body, and then and then he's like, "I'll take the princess. We're we're going here." <laughs> So you can see where Han, what Han's thinking, and I just want to mention there's a couple good Chewies and Chewy lines in here. One's Growrt, G R R O W R T. I said that earlier tonight after I had a whole lot of root beer to drink. Uh huh. And there's one part. Well, yeah. There's another part where he just says bark, and maybe <laughs> if you were drinking some Bark's root beer, that's what you would have said. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to say... You think Han <laughs> slipped him a milk bone right after he did that? Well, he says Rauk, Rauk, too, but it's W-R-O-W-K. It's not even R-O-W-K, it's W-R-O-W-K. Rauk! And he has a couple growls, and, you know, I love it. They just, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for him to say, like, Nerf, or, you know, or... <laughs> Fwart! Snorf! Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, one thing I really did like was we we get a different kind of imperial ship in this one the uh the imperial light cruiser and damned if this thing isn't very similar to the uh the republic cruisers that yeah. they're using on clone wars yeah. right now i really like that it's cool it, looking there's been you know it's it's funny i think uh there's been a lot of little things that have so, kind of fit into some of the clone wars and the in the um Second trilogy, second produced trilogies, mm-hmm. uh, storyline that that are just probably pure coincidence, but it's it's cool, and this is one of them. Yeah, 
This mm-hmm. is sort of like the shovel version or like wedge version of of the Clone Wars ships. You know, it's got the sort of flattened out. It's got a sort of basic, you know, the basic same shape, but it's flattened out at the front. It's really cool and smaller. Yeah, yeah I like that. I think it's neat. Well, it's also worth noting that, uh, you know, believe it or not, here this is the 18th issue. This is the first reappearance of the Imperials since uh, the end of the movie adaption way back yep. in uh, issue six. Yep. Everything else has been, uh, you know, new or different enemies, you know, non non Imperials up to this point. So I thought that was, you know, worth noting. So and, what uh, you got with uh, with issue nineteen? You ready to go to issue nineteen? Sure, unless unless you got anything no, no, more no, no, on this no, no, one. No, no, nineteen, nineteen. <laughs> um, no, not not really. Um, um, yeah, no, that's about all I got. This one, uh, 19 is, 19's got a great comic book cover. It's got a weird ass, it's got, of course it features a wheel, but in the middle of the wheel is like a red skull that looks like a scrawl almost. The Nazis are behind it. Now, this is what's really strange though, is, is everybody's, you know, like sometimes you'll have like the hero's head superimposed, but this is literally their heads. This is like someone cut off their heads and just put them in a in a sack and then toss them out into space cuz i it's just this weird effect of where chewie's hair is hanging down and it's like going behind han solo's head so it's it's just weird <laughs> you know what i mean it makes him look like yeah. they're like well, you know, I never real, you know, because the 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 wheel in the middle of the wheel is a giant skull, yeah. and I never realized before that it really is colored red. So it's the red skull. So yeah. you know, by all rights, Captain America should show up in this story somewhere. You know, so so as as yeah, right, exactly, and and he could help move things along a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> so as you said, this one um, uh, is Carmine Infantino and Bob Wieck. Wieck. Wiesek? Wiesek? I've heard Wiesek. it's Wiesek, that but I always sense. thought it was Wiesek, but I, I don't know. It's One of these days I'll meet him and ask him, I and, guess. And, and Archie, Archie Goodwin. And uh, at the beginning of this issue, we find uh, our heroes are all pinned down by Imperial stormtroopers um, who have pursued them to the giant gambling station, The Wheel. R2 and 3P are in one section. They're taking comatose Luke to the medical section and, uh, you know, they're being uh, chased by stormtroopers, so they're sort of cornered by stormtroopers. So R2 closes a blast door between them and the pursuing troopers and they're felled by their own blasters that are reflected back at them because, you know, as soon as that door falls, instead of opening it up they just open fire. So that that basically wipes out all the troopers. Lucky for R2 and 3PO. And, uh, Meanwhile, Han and Leia are about to be overrun by troopers when uh, Wheel Security steps in and uh, on Senator Grayshade's authority, and uh, they say, "Come on, we're taking you to um, Grayshade, and uh, you Imperials can just uh, hang on. We've got orders to take these guys." So, uh, so they're separated. They they take Leia one way and they take Han the other way, and uh, Leia's taken to see Grayshade. Um, Meanwhile, Chewie's uh, stashed the corpse of the dead rebel, you know, before, you know, uh, we don't see him stash it, but it's uh, said that he's somehow gotten rid of the dead rebel and uh, has made his way to the top level of the wheel, which is sort of the main gambling part of the 
the the wheel is where most of the action is. So he figures he can go up there and blend in more. Uh, but of course, uh, they, they they're on to him, and uh, he's uh, taken down by a blaster set on stun. But not before he drops this humongous bouncer, of course. And uh, they take him off to the gladiator pits. So meanwhile, Wheel Securities uh, starts to search the Falcon for the booty that they think is there from the destroyed merchant ship uh, that that we saw in the last issue. And uh, Leah's explaining to Grayshade that the Empire's trying to, you know, frame them and make it look like the Rebellion is trying to attack the Wheel so the Empire can take it over under the pretense of protection. So uh, Commander Stromberson shoots a uh, Grace Grayshade's robot and uh Mastercom and is going to shoot Gray uh Grayshade because he doesn't want anybody to know, you know, about this plot. Um when uh the master computer disarms him, you know, sends a bolt out from the wall and disarms him and another uh Mastercom works it you know, Mastercom is basically just the body form of the main computer of the ship and uh Strom didn't know this. So uh so Grayshade, you know, gets Strom and says, Look, I'll cut a deal with you. You know, we'll um we'll forget to tell uh that you were try you know, that we found out that you were trying to frame us, you know, so your superiors don't decide to uh have you go uh quote unquote work for Lord Vader, which means you just basically get your neck snapped, you know, across half a universe. Um, and, uh, he'll let, he'll let him go and, and play along as long as, uh, he leaves Princess Leia for him. For what reason? We don't know. Does he have a crush on her or whatever reason, but, uh, he wants Princess Leia. So Strom agrees to this, uh, this little bargain. Meanwhile, Luke is, uh, being treated at the hospital after R2 tricks the computers into thinking that he's an approved guest. And, uh, two wheel security guards come and take the droids, telling them that they've been sold to the wheel to provide Han Solo with gambling credit. So Chewie awakes, and he's in the, you know, in the holding tank for the gladiator pits, and is told he's either going to fight or uh, be sent to prison. And, uh, meanwhile, Han is losing at the gambling tables, um, because basically he doesn't have enough money to get the Falcon out of Hawk to get out of there, but you can't be there and not gamble. So he's hawked the droids for money, thinking that he could get enough money back to buy the droids back and get his ship out of Hawk. But they know they're onto this and uh, have basically rigged all the games. So he's losing all his money. So uh, when he runs out of money, he's only got one choice. Um, he signs up as a gladiator. So uh, I wonder where uh, this this uh, plot line is going. So that's pretty much uh, the end of uh, episode 19. And uh, we've got Han and Chewie uh, both as gladiators. And uh, everybody else is just sort of in limbo right now. Uh, the, you know, the droids, the droids have been sold and uh, Luke is still in, in a comatose state. So what do you think about this one? <sighs> yeah. The art went downhill. <laughs> And uh, the story got more and more ridiculous. You know, it wasn't an unpleasant read, but it was just sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting through it. You know, <laughs> uh, I think. Well, let's see how this story goes, and you can tell it's just sort of an interim story before anything exciting happens. You know. 
I have trouble remembering sometimes with these, but if I'm not mistaken, this issue 19 was one of those that it took me a long time to hunt down as a back issue, like years later, you know, when comic shops first started to come around our area and all that. And I remember having and reading both 18 and 20 as a kid, but not Not having having 19. And, you know, when I finally tracked it down years later, I think part of the reason that I don't like this one as much is, for one, I'm not sentimentally attached to it because I didn't have it as a kid. But also, I was totally able to follow the story from 18 to 20 without ever having 19. So then you read it, and it really feels very much like what it is. It's filler. Yeah. It's the gap between those two issues, you know? Yeah. So not there's not a whole lot of story progression in this issue. And I, I think that coupled with the, the, the serious step down in the art. Oh, the stormtroopers in this one are so horrible looking. They're just ridiculous yeah. looking. And there's scenes where Han, I, Han Solo looks, and where everybody looks Asian, you know? It's mm-hmm. just, just there's one, my, my favorite is on page 10. There's a shot of Huey, uh, Huey, Chewy jumping down. To, oh, that's, and, That's my favorite note right there. Is I just Chewie, call it giant hairy Wookie ass. Yeah, it's <laughs> like all right. Yeah, so Chewie's a big guy. He's got a big ass. Okay, whatever, whatever. But oh my god, this is like bubble butt. This is this is Sir Mixalot territory. It's just it's he, just ridiculous. He's got like yeah, it's just redonkulous. You think Chewie gets dingleberries? Right. You, you you gotta you know you can just well just reference the. Uh, that video of him in the uh, Ewok. <laughs> that about, That's right. That about. <laughs> I forgot about that. You know, I mean, well, top, even top of these lines aren't up to par. Well, he says "worf" once, which is close worf. to "wharf," which he says "rarg." Yeah, it's just not, not up to at par. The, at the top of that same page, that very first panel on page eleven. Uh-huh. What what the hell am I looking at there? Because I still can't make heads or tails of that picture. What is that? Uh, uh, maybe it's the tube up to the upper level. But or... then why isn't it perpendicular to the ground then? I don't know if that's a ground or, or another part of the... Because remember the main city of the space station is sort of on the inside of the way they described it last time. And this right. is another thing of this. It's, you know... it. You shouldn't have to describe these things so intensely. You should be able to just show them simply, but they don't. <laughs> and that was the comics at the time, though. And, that's right. not so much the fault of this particular right. thing. Um, that's that's how comics just were back then. So that city looks like that. That city should be the ring part of it. That you know, the round right. part of it, and that's the the city on the bottom of that ring and the inside part of the ring, and. I guess the tube, but it's coming in at a weird angle. It's just exactly, and it and it has really nothing to do with the text. That's, it, 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 I mean, the text is describing this. Yeah, it's just, you know, you 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 basically. I mean, I really didn't even think of that. I just sort of read the text and moved on. You know, I I was not gonna devote. I, you know, reading into what I was thinking when I was reading this a few days ago, but I probably wasn't going to devote the brain power to try to figure out what that was and just going, I'll just move on. <laughs> What's weird to me is how you can 
how there can be artists to where you really love their work on one work, but then you look at their their work on some other book or some other title or character and all or whatever, and you know, I, I use as an example Carmine Infantino. I like his Star Wars stuff. His I Star really Wars stuff is some of my favorite work that he's done personally. Yeah. But I looked at, you know, he did The Flash for a hell of a long time. I can barely look at that stuff. It just doesn't work for me. It just looks whatever. I don't I don't want to slight the guy, so I won't put a word to it. But I just don't care for it. But this issue here is very close to that Flash stuff that I don't like. There's just something about it that's I, – I don't know if it's the inking or if this was a rush job or what's going on with it. But it's just, you know, after how beautiful it looked last issue, this issue just doesn't have anywhere near the same quality. And even the coloring, I noticed, is a little bit strange in this one too. Yeah, it's 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 kind of careless. Everything about it, it may it may have been rushed. Who knows? You know. I do like the multi-armed alien on page twenty-six, though he's actually pretty cool. The one that Chewie's like that's actually the... knocking out of the ring—that's pretty, or yeah. out of the cage. I mean, that's pretty neat. And Chewie's got like old man face on the bottom of number twenty-seven. There, it's like all his teeth got like he's gumming it or something. You're you know? right. <laughs> Snarf, which. <laughs> Let, uh, just a historical note here. You know what snarf is, don't you? No. To snarf is to sniff the seat of a girl's bicycle. No way. It was it was like old perverts used to like see little girls riding around and they'd go and sniff their and it was called snarfing. There was actually yeah. a comic book called Snarf. And, yeah. And uh, it was you know an underground comic. So. <laughs> And it's a weird, and Snarf is weird because it has a red stripe running down the middle of it. So I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Like when, what, if he, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> Chewie's like that, and he's gumming it, and he's like this dirty old man who's looking to go like sniff a girl's bicycle seat. And I can't help but wonder <laughs> if, you know, I, imag I imagine it was, it was, is I wonder if it's Infantino who puts that stuff in there, or the letter, or they superimpose it over, you know, Chewie's lines. But I can't help but think somebody was like, I'm going to put Snarf in here, and, you know, nobody, you know, if anybody gets it, they're not going to care. They're just going to, you know, laugh their ass off. But I wonder if <laughs> Snarf wasn't put in there consciously. Of all the things for Chewie to say, Snarf. Snarf! I do like the uh, the the Casino City and and later uh, you know in subsequent issues we get you know little shots here and there of the interiors of some of the casinos and stuff. It, it reminds me a lot of the casinos that we'll eventually see in uh, in Episode Two, Attack of the yes. Clones, you know, where, where Kenobi and uh, and Anakin go into the the different clubs, you know, searching for that. Yes, there, assassin yes. and all that. There's a there's an intro scene where Chewie's just going into that that section, and you know you see a couple characters that are copped right out of the you know Star War, you know Episode Four Cantina, and the way that the background is you know with the colors and the way the signs are sort of you can't tell if they're signs or holograms that are just sort of hanging there. It looks very much like that Episode Two part where they're where they're down in the you know bottom you know on the ground level of Coruscant. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool too. That's another 
example of of the sort of anticipation of yeah some of the stuff actually you know actually half-assed matches up and which you know it's all just dumb luck happenstance yeah. but it's neat that it does anyway you know that it that it you know so far we haven't hit anything that horribly contradicts you know just doesn't work where we will eventually because the annual has a major flub that uh that can't be corrected that in doesn't continuity, fit the but, continuity. Yeah. well this i'm not is sure when of, we'll this is oh, sort sorry. of the stuff that like 20 years from now when there's little kids who read these and they don't think it, they'll just think of you know the star wars movie they'll, they'll probably think this stuff all ties into you know they'll think it probably all came out at the same time so they they won't even think that it's a coincidence that, you know, they won't know that there's 30 years or, you know, 25 <laughs> years in between this comic and episode two. Right. So I don't know, but that's, that's all I got on this one. Yep. Me too. All right. Last one not for a big uh, winner. Yeah. It's a, it's okay. It's not horrible, but up to this point, I think that this is, uh, this is one of the weaker ones we've done. Yeah. One so of the, far. yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, our last issue for this episode is number 20. This one, uh, another beautiful cover by uh, Carmine Infantino and Bob Wycheck. Yes. This one's showing uh, R2 and 3PO. You know, they're, they've got some weird, funky-nosed aliens on the cover of this, and they're watching a casino monitor of Han Solo about to get uh, these poison thorn dart things stuck in his body. It's a pretty cool cover. Um and they are, are, of course, the interior artists on this. Archie Goodwin, the writer. This one is called Death Game. This is the February 1979 issue. And uh, we start out with the gambling patrons of the wheel watching a carefully orchestrated ruse. Rebel ships attacking a pleasure, pleasure cruiser that has just departed from the wheel. And it's uh, and, uh, then the... Uh, the fake rebel ships basically are destroyed by uh, by imperial forces. Then we see Princess Leia. You know she's getting all pissed off and upset with uh, Senator Grayshade. You know for, because he's going along with this charade. You know of of the rebels being the ones you know staging these attacks. And you know she knows and he knows that it's actually the Imperials doing all this, trying to set the rebels up. So she throws her little hissy fit. You know which just drives Grayshade out of the room. He doesn't want to put up with her crap. Um, but he fails to notice as he's leaving that, uh, you know, she's managed to conceal a knife, you know, while she was throwing her tantrum. So, you know, now she's got a weapon. Uh, we follow Grayshade Shade out of the room and, you know, he goes uh, to where the Imperial ship is, is docked and goes to the ship and he meets up uh, with and uh, further schemes with uh, Commander Strom, the Imperial commander of that ship. Strom is attempting to establish a military presence on the wheel, and essentially he's blackmailing Grayshade by threatening to expose him as harboring a known rebel fugitive if you know he resists you know what Strom wants. Strom also demands to know why you know he's let Leia's companions you know why are they still alive? And uh, Grayshade assures him that you know steps are being taken. We're dealing with the situation. Luke, um, he's still out cold in the Wheels Hospital facility, um, you know, and, and Grayshade assures Strom that, you know, he's never going to recover, while Han Solo and Chewbacca are destined to die, um, basically, you know, it's like uh, Sark and Tron, you know, 
oh, you know, they'll die in the game or whatever, <laughs> whatever they say in that movie. Exactly. You know, they're they're going to die gladi- gladiatorial style, you know, in, in the combat ring. You know, I want him in the games until he dies playing. That was the line. So anyway, R2 and 3PO, um, having been pawned by Han Solo to get himself a stake in the gambling games, you know, now he, now they face being melted down. Meanwhile, Han, you know, he's set to begin his first gladiatorial match. Well, he goes in to find himself, you know, way out of his league, and he's facing this, you know, great big four-armed horned alien that has uh, poisonous thorns for weapons. You know, so things aren't looking so good for Han Solo. You know, he's completely outmatched. R2 and 3PO, however, they manage to get rescued by Master Calm, who it turns out he's fascinated by R2 and 3PO because of their devotion for their Master Luke. And he decides to keep them alive because he wants to study them. Uh, C-3PO convinces Master Calm that uh, he needs to take them to their master, and he does. But when they arrive in sickbay, Luke is gone. Leia, in the meantime, um, she uses her appropriated knife and she manages to short out the door to the cell that she's in and she makes an escape. R2 and 3PO, uh, you know, they're, now they're cut loose by Master Com. They make their way to the casino level where they see Han on the game monitors about to be killed by his four-armed opponent. Through a, you know, a little bit of quick thinking and a lot of dumb luck, man, Han manages not only to survive the attack of this big guy, but he also causes his opponent to accidentally scratch himself with his own poison thorns, and the, the guy collapses dead on top of Han. And Strom, who's been watching this gladiatorial match, he is not happy that Solo has managed to live against all the odds, and now he's, he's survived when Shade assured him that he was going to die in the games. And that's pretty much where we leave this particular issue. So what do you think of this one? This one's a step up. Yeah, I thought so too. It's got its weird Not- moments. Like uh, there's one where there's one shot of R2 where he's getting all it's it's I call it the disco shot. It's on page 27 and uh, it's in the, in the center, right? And, R2 is just swung at some incredible angle, and 3PO looks like he's disco dancing, and then there's another green guy who looks like he's doing the, um, I don't know which character, but he looks like he's doing that one dance from the, um, uh, Peanuts Christmas special, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do, I'm looking at it You can tell which dance he's doing, too, he's doing that hunchback dance, and R2-D2 is also, I'm going to read his line here, it's, Bip-peep? A bit kick is what he's saying. <laughs> so and it's just bizarre. It's like they're like tangoing out on the dance floor. Three PO's just sort of hey, swinging his hips around. Just just weird. But you know, it's, this one's got a fight in it. It's a little more action, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, a little less story. You know, it's got Leia, Leia being smart and throwing her fit. Is an excuse to get to get the knife, which was which was a good bit of Leia thinking. It's got a nice two-page spread of Han getting his head kicked. Come on, <laughs> during, yeah, during that the fight. that still remains the the part of this overall arc. Not just these three issues, but the whole, overall six issue arc. That's the right. part 
I didn't care for was this this subplot with the gladiatorial games because maybe it's a silly thing to say about the same guy who played you know Indiana Jones a couple years later, but Han Solo just doesn't strike me as an action hero gladiatorial battle kind of guy. You know, he's the smart ass pirate. You know, he, yeah, he's not a guy. You. He'll shoot you. He'll yeah. shoot first. And kill you, Greedo. Anyway. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem. I don't know. I mean, do we ever see Han really like? He throws you know, other a than, couple stormtroopers around yeah. in, in in the Return of the Jedi, but he's yeah. not a brawler, really. Yeah, I guess that's my beef with this: is that he's he's you know made to be some sort of a hand-to-hand combatant. And I just can't see that, you know, with that with that character. I just right. I'm not saying he's a pussy or he's a coward or anything, but I just don't see Han Solo getting in the ring. You know what I mean? I guess he had, you know. Well, also he had no choice. You know, he has no choice. That's his only his quote unquote. That's another sto- you know quote unquote little plot element that doesn't quite work. Is you know he's forced. He's going along with what they're forcing him to do, which is hawk your robots and then lose all your money. So, you know, he's getting manipulated into it. Right. He's in a gambling place. And also the fact that after all this hoopla, that he's allowed to just sort of go there and gamble, he should be pretty suspicious that they're just screwing him over. But he's not. He's just sort of. He's just sort of following along, going, "Oh my God! Now what am I going to do? I guess I'm going to have. I, I got to get the Falcon out. Of, I guess I'm going to have to go in the gladiatorial ring. You leave me no choice. And I mean, if he knew what they were up to, there would he would at least call him on it, you know. And he's a man of, of, of a kind of. He has a kind of temper on him. So it seems like instead of gambling and trying to get the money, he would be like running and just saying, screw it and starting to shoot people and run around, you know, and figure <laughs> out, figure out where to go from there. You know, that was, that's sort of been his MO in in the other movies. So yeah, that doesn't entirely ring true either. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I'm not a big fan of this whole story arc. You know, and then there's just some weird stuff like where Chewie's, you know, fighting his way through the whole thing. And there's one shot of Chewie in a very Flash Gordon-like scene. He's on the, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's what I was going to talk about. With the about holes next. with the fire over it. and He's got fire shooting up his ass, basically. Yeah, I love there's, it. There's just some of the, uh, Infantino's really putting a focus on Chewie's ass in late as of late that's making me wonder <laughs> what's up. But, uh, and also, but with all that, all that fire, like, flying around a Wookiee, come on. You know, he would be in flames by that point. You know, you just can't put fire that close to hair. But that's just a, you know, minor grade, whatever, artistic license or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I mean, this one, this one, they do their little Marvel crossover into, it's sort of a, it's, this this one sort of, the, the fight with Han Solo is a cross between Star Wars, um, John Carter and maybe John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and Conan the Barbarian. You know, it's yep. a, yeah. it's a gladiatorial fight, but it's it looks like it looks like the the guy with the teeth. He's got his you know fangs that come from the the bottom jaw, and uh, 
you know, he looks like something from John Carter, Warlord of Mars. You know, he looks like a, a Martian with his with his thorns and and Han Solo's right out of a sword and sorcery. He's got a mace and a shield. So it, it was it yeah. was this was more entertaining than the last one, but still only by a, a few degrees. It's yeah, I'm not Well one thing I noticed, you know, I, I did a quick look here while you were talking. I think part of my problem with the art could be the fact that, you know, here's three issues, 18, 19, and 20. All right. three of them have a different um, colorist. And I wonder if that's part of the con uh, I'm sure contributing factor to why the art seems so inconsistent issue to issue. And granted, I do think this, the art takes a serious step back up with this issue. Yes. I don't know what the problem was. With, with the prior issue, I, I really do think it was a problem with the inks. I hate to put the blame on, on Wycheck, but it, it, you know, the art and the ink looks a hell of a lot better in this one. It's, you know, they're using the, that shading effect again, and it does. It, it's, it's taken a step back up. It's still not quite back up to the level with the Gene Day stuff, but uh, part of that problem, I think, is some of the colors in this are kind of weird and a lot of it's really dark and you know these old style comics on this cheap ass newsprint when you use a lot of really dark and a lot of black and thick lines and all that it tends it to muddy up the art yeah. yeah i think that's part of the problem but there's uh, a lot of smearing just from the printing process much less your grubby our grubby little kitty hands <laughs> well the best thing about this issue to me is and i remember seeing this as a kid and getting so excited was the tease for the next issue which was just simply going to be called Shadow of a Dark Lord yes. and and you were like as a kid thinking oh are finally. they talking about who I think they're talking finally. about finally you know? yes yeah exactly you know because we have not seen that particular character you know since uh, he six. went spinning off into space at the end of 6 so we've yeah we've seen him in reference and flashbacks you know like as a little thought balloon over Luke's head or something but or as a like here's a you know here's a storyline so far or something like that but yeah he had he, he himself in the flesh has not made a, a you know you know what my favorite part of this this issue is What's Actually, that? it's the two ads in the back. The first <laughs> one for the Micronauts comic coming, yes. which at this point, you know, this was I was just I for whatever reason, you know, if I if you know Asian toys, the Asian sort of sort of transformer type toys were more popular back then. They, these wouldn't have been so cool, but I didn't know it. I was out in the country. I didn't know anything about this. These toys look so cool, you know, Croyer and mm -hmm. uh, Baron Karza and Biotron, which I had. You know, I begged for these. And Microtron, who's drawn without his little screw-on dick in the comic, of course, but he did have a little <laughs> thing that looked like a drill bit that was right in his crotch, and it spun as he went forward. And then on the other one, there was a um, Remco Spider-Man Yes, <laughs> and I love yeah. it because I apparently all this Spider-Man could do was hold one hand straight up in the air and the other one to his side because every pose is just 
Spider-Man, and it's not like they just reused the same drawing because he's from different angles and everything. But he's just standing there with his arm up in the one, his left arm up in the air, and his right arm to his side. And one, he's got a flashlight, you know. One, he's standing on his helicopter with his hand dangerously close to the blade, and the other, he's shooting some web at some like snot that's on a table or something. <laughs> I never had this toy as a kid, but I do remember seeing him. I think I had yep. a friend that had it. And if I'm not mistaken, if he moved at all, all that moved was like right at the elbow, like like it would slide right. around, you know, action figure style. But the more I look at this, I'm thinking he didn't move. I, I think he may have been molded right. in this position yeah. and not moved at all. But, yeah, if, if he moved, that was the only thing that moved was his arms at the elbow, which, you know, that sucks for an action figure, you know? I mean, it was bad enough back in the day, you know, the Star Wars figures that only moved, you know, their their legs moved at the hip and then, you know, their arms moved at the at the shoulder. But to damn, not, you know, yeah. your, your, your legs don't move at all. You know, forget knees. The legs don't even bend at the hip. That sucks, man. It's not really action now, is it? <laughs> No, no, not not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inaction figure. It's a static figure. figure. Oh, it's also worth noting that uh, in the letters column for uh, for issue twenty, that uh, former Star Wars writer of the first what was it, the first ten issues, I believe, yes. Roy Thomas actually wrote in to to give yes, his thoughts right. on the series so far. Which, you know, that's one of those things. You know, that it's not going to be bad. Seem- yeah, well, I mean, you don't see that though. It's it's almost one of those unspoken things, you know, like you know how former presidents are not supposed to speak about you know the current president kind of thing. You know, well, they, the, the, they are, but you can't say anything bad. You can only say things good, and that's what he did. Maybe they were just trying to be like, "Hey, some people are upset that he's gone. Let's make it. Let's show that it wasn't like he was fired or kicked off, which he was, sort of, right?" But, well, not really. It's just he he it pretty much left because he yeah he just felt like the whole thing wasn't wasn't working out right, for him. So he right. so he they, left on its own, but it was kind of reluctantly, is my understanding. So I think they wanted to just show that it wasn't like some horrible acrimony or something like that. So he you know he writes in a very pra- praising and you know friendly and and nice letter into the letter. You know, a little PR maybe. I don't well, know. That's I, uh, what I thought when I when I read it. I uh, you know I I got in contact with uh, with Roy Thomas briefly you know a while back about you know coming right. on the show and talking to us and uh, I need to follow up again because he he was totally into the idea he just couldn't do it at the time so you know stay tuned for that you know maybe we'll actually manage to get him on I would love to talk to Roy Thomas about you know, about all kinds of comics but Star Wars in particular just because you know being such a fan and basically he is the man that was responsible for this series you know i mean there's there's no two ways about it he took the idea to marvel and and it was his baby despite the fact that he only lasted just the 10 issues and you know 7 through 10 were not exactly a high point of the the entire marvel run right. still you know he's still the man you know that that was the whole creative force behind it so yeah, I'm sure he's got some great stories. And he's just a big Star Wars fan, so you know, I, I definitely would like to to talk to him about that. But I just thought that was worth noting that you know he actually, you know, was still obviously you know cared about the, the book and was following the book beyond just you know the point where he wrote it. Which, right. you know, I, I from what I've heard, a lot of a lot of 
people that work on a comic, particularly writers, once they're gone, they don't tend to look back because they, they a lot of times they're not able to, to see what comes after them and, and be objective or, or even appreciative of it. You know, a lot of times they don't care right. for how people pick up, you know, what they left behind. But, uh, you know, evidently he loves Star Wars enough that he was still keeping an eye on it. So I think that's neat. But uh, we probably are going a little bit long for this uh, for this particular episode, so we will wrap it up there, and we yep. will come back with Marvel Comics Star Wars twenty. What is it? Twenty one through twenty three for next time, which will wrap up the Wheel story arc. Yes, it will. And we'll have the next episode, which will be episode eight of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and just whatever the heck else we have Star Wars to talk about. All right, we'll see you then. Cool. Join us next week for Star Trek Monthly Mondays, number seven. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the 2 True Freaks podcast. The 2 True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.